Good evening. Welcome to Tuesday evening chapel. But just checking, making sure that you're paying attention. Just checking. Yeah. We are being transformed into Christ likeness again today. Amen? Amen. I'm just grateful he makes it so. Uh, Want to uh, make sure that everybody has met Shelly. There you are, Shelly Cotton. She, the snow didn't drive her off. She's here again from Nazarene Theological Seminary. Everybody wave hi. And they've been kind to you again today? Outstanding, outstanding. And then Dr. Vicki Kopp is going to preach uh, the message this evening. And so would you welcome her again? And her husband, Dan, came to chapel even if he didn't have to. So welcome him for being to be here. It is the prayer of our hearts to both worship and obey. Thank you that you make it so. We give to you everything that gets in the way of that happening. And we ask now that your spirit would speak to help us worship and obey all the more. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Did you hear what he said about Dan coming to chapel to hear me preach even though he didn't have to? Did you hear him say that? You know, we, Dan and I have had a very interesting journey. Dan had been pastoring for probably six or eight years when God called me to preach. And um, so I've always kind of felt like I followed in his footsteps, you know. Dan was the real preacher and I was the, you know, coming along learning how to be a preacher person. Well, uh, recently I've taken a pastoral position and Dan's working at the Global Ministry Center. So Dan says to me, what if I decide not to go with you? <laughs> I said, I always went with you, didn't I? <laughs> and then I had another experience just Sunday. We went out with uh, a lay couple at, in my new assignment, and it came time to bless the meal. And, you know, I have this way of thinking about this kind of stuff because of the way it's happened in my life. And they turned to me and said, Pastor Cop, would you pray for the meal? And it took me a minute to just think, oh, yeah, in this setting, even though Dan's an ordained elder, I am the pastor. And so that, that reminded me of it when you said that. And by the way, I came when he preached, didn't I? You didn't give me any credit for it. Funny, funny how that works. Funny how that works. Okay. <laughs> how many of you are uh, in uh, ministry couples where both of you are, are working towards ordination? May I see your hands? Okay, not a ton of you. We, at the seminary, we've seen uh, in the last several years just an abundance of, of two clergy families. So uh, we've kind of thought maybe this is a trend, but... Who knows, maybe it's not, but it's been very interesting to, to watch that and to relate our journey uh, to these younger couples coming up. I like your theme, 
we are being transformed into Christ's likeness. And, uh, you know, in Nazarendom, I like to call it Nazarendom, um, we've had such an emphasis on holiness that at times we've crossed over that line and moved into legalism. And um, what that does is it makes us look really good on the outside, but then we're neglecting those deeper issues of the heart. And so I'm looking at a passage tonight where Jesus is addressing that very thing. It's Matthew 6, and my reference is 1 through 34, but I'm not going to preach 1 through 34. I'm going to pick, pick out some verses. And what I'm, what I'm looking at are two hindrances that Jesus addresses here, um, to holiness, to Christ-likeness. One of them is self-justification. In other words, I'm going to make myself holy, or at least make myself look holy, and the other is self-protection. That is, I'm going to take care of myself. So th those, are, those are the two hindrances to holiness that we're going to look at this evening. The first um, passage that I want to read is six, chapter, one, or chapter 6, verse 1. Beware of practicing your piety before others in order to be seen by them, for then you have no reward from your Father in heaven. This is Jesus' main point in this chapter, and then he illustrates it with three examples, and you, you know these. Um, in each of these examples, he contrasts the way of the hypocrites with the way of the Father. And the first example is almsgiving or charitable giving, and um, he talks about the hypocrites announcing with trumpets that they're giving, and then contrasting that with the way of the Father, where the right hand doesn't know what the left hand is doing. Now, these days, at least I don't know of anybody that announces with trumpets when they give. Somebody might somewhere, but I'm not, I'm not aware of it. Um, but we, we have other more subtle and culturally acceptable ways of announcing our giving. Um, uh, one of the ways, which I see a lot, is uh, putting our names on buildings when we've given a lot of money. Now, President Graves, I know that we need to get people to give us money, and that's an incentive. But we, we were on the Arizona District for five years. And uh, one of the things that happened on the Arizona District is our sewer broke down on the campground. Okay, now if we were going to build a building, it might be easy to get somebody to give money because they get their name on the building, but who wants to give money to a sewer, right? <laughs> so this is one of the things that happens when we, when we have to get credit for, for all the things that we do. There are lots of things that are really important that nobody wants to do because you can't get credit for it, or at least not very much fun getting credit for it. The idea of the right hand not knowing what the left hand is doing is giving us the um, sense that giving should be such a natural part of who we are as Christ-like people that we don't give it a second thought. It's just as natural as breathing to us to give. So that, that idea, your right hand doesn't know what your left hand is doing. Uh, he Praying is his next example, and he talks about um, standing in the synagogues and on the street corners, Contrast that way of the hypocrites with the way of the Father, which is in your room or your closet with the closed door. And again, we don't stand on the street corners and pray. Uh, but sometimes I've heard prayers in, in meetings and 
churches and uh, organizations that sound a little bit like we're, we're standing on the street corner. Um, that, and I know, you know, especially when we're theologically educated, it's a real temptation to throw in those words, you know, that make our prayers sound really impressive. But um, if we're not careful, we can cross that line into, into practicing our piety um, so that we'll look good in front of others. The, the third example he uses is fasting, and he contrasts the way of the, the hypocrite, which is looking sober, disfiguring your faces, with the way of the Father, which is oil, put oil on your head and wash your face. Typically, again, when we fast, we don't disfigure our faces. But we, again, have ways of letting people know that we're fasting, like the woman who went to the church potluck and went from table to table, and at each table, someone said, aren't you eating? And she would say, oh, no, I'm fasting today. So that was, that was her way of letting everyone know that she was fasting. Um, so so we, have this, we have this way of doing these things that Jesus is critiquing here in our own culture. They're different, but they're the same in a lot of ways, too. All of these examples display a desire for the approval of others in order to be seen, in order to feel good about ourselves. Now, there is a sense in which we do live our lives for other people to see. You know, Paul says, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. And uh, Jesus tells us, let your light shine. So there are, we're told to live our lives so people can look at us. The, the key is, why are we doing it? What's our motivation? What's our intent? What's our, what's our purpose for doing it? The discipline of secrecy when we're doing these acts of piety is something that will break that power of, of, and help us to, to have the right motivation for doing those things. You know, um, I did a lot of retreat speaking when uh, I was first answering my call for women's retreats. And I remember hearing women speakers, and one of the things they would say uh, frequently is, oh, my way here, I, on the plane, I sat next to this person, and I witnessed to them, and they came to Christ. I heard so many stories like that, and I thought, oh, I would love to tell a story like that, you know, to get up and, at a women's retreat and say, on the way here, I won someone to Christ. And I found myself getting on the plane and thinking, who can I sit by? Maybe I can witness to them, and then I can go to retreat and talk about how I... It's, we have to fight against this. Maybe you don't, but I do. I have to fight against that. And uh, one of the ways to do it is to practice when I do things that are really the kinds of things I want to tell people about, don't tell them. Don't tell people when you're fasting. Don't tell people when you, when you said something to someone and it really made a big difference. It turned the light on for them or, or made a real big difference in, in their, the way they looked at life or something. So that discipline of secrecy is something that can break the power that uses the approval of others to make us feel like we're holy. The reason Jesus talked about this is because the religious leaders in his day 
loved praise from one another more than praise from God. Jesus said to them, you are those who justify yourselves in the sight of others, but God knows your hearts. These religious leaders had become so interested in the seats of honor and shows of respect that they lost sight of the real reason for piety, and they moved into legalism. Paul tells us not to have confidence in our flesh and to boast in the Lord, for it is not those who commend themselves that are approved, but those whom the Lord commends. Jesus knew that this type of self-justification drew attention away from God's interests. Oswald Chambers says, As long as you have a personal interest in your own character or any set ambition, you cannot get through into identification with God's interests. Relying on the approval of others degenerates into allowing others to dictate our actions. Uh, we've heard uh, politically how following the polls, you know, changing direction because the polls said this or that. Uh, we, can, we can move into that as Christians, especially in Christian leadership, where uh, instead of taking the hard route that God is calling us to because of the, we want the approval of others, we'll take the easier way. And that's what Jesus is, is speaking against here. And, and then this is something else that it does. And this is a new thought for me. When we practice our piety for the approval of others, we are diminishing those others. Do you hear what I'm saying? Because they look at us and they go, wow, she's so holy and I'm such a worm. You get the idea? And that, think of how you felt when someone has... Uh, it been going on about all the places they've gone, the places they've spoken, the things they've read, the things they've written, and how that makes you feel. Or maybe you're not like me. It makes me feel like, wow, I never did anything important. Am I the only one that feels that way? Do you guys feel that way sometimes? Okay, good. Sometimes I think I'm just a real weirdo, and so it's nice to know that you think that I, you think the same way I do. When we're all about justifying ourselves, we're not looking out for the interests of others, and it harms the body of Christ. Not only that, who, who justifies us? Our Lord Jesus Christ justifies us. We don't have to justify ourselves. You know, Paul talks about having begun with the Spirit. Are you going to complete it with your own works? And, and that's what this, this is the same kind of thing. We don't justify ourselves. Jesus Christ has done that for us. And so the way that, one of the ways that we can help ourselves is ask ourselves, why am I really doing this? Am I doing this so I look good in front of somebody? And to question our, our motivation. The other hindrance is found in um, Matthew 6, 20, or 19 through 21. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust consume and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust consumes, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Jesus is talking here about the desire for accumulating wealth as a means to security. Before, it was self-justification dependent on the approval of others, and now it's self-protection dependent on the accumulation 
of wealth. And again, it's a matter of focus. What he's talking about here is depending on our wealth as opposed to trusting in God, trusting that God will take care of us. Dennis Kinlaw tells the story. One evening, I spent about four hours with a young missionary who was giving his life for a tribe of primitive Indians in Latin America. He was hardly more than 30 years of age, yet he'd been working outside the United States for more than a decade. In fact, this young man left the university after his sophomore year, liquidated what he owned, and bought a one-way ticket to the mission field. Despite the opposition of his family and without anyone to lend him financial support, he dropped out of school and had gone to mission work. His story was so dramatic that I found it difficult to question the propriety of what he had done, yet I found myself asking, why did you have to go then? Why could you not wait until you had finished your training and secured some support? A legitimate question. He looked away for a moment. Then he turned as if he had a secret that he was not sure he could entrust to me. He said, I had found an intimacy with Jesus that I was afraid I would lose if I did not do what he wanted me to do. When we depend upon our wealth as our security, it inhibits our intimacy with God. You remember the letter to uh, the church at Laodicea in Revelation. This was the richest commercial center in Asia, makers of fine textile products and the chief medical center in Phrygia. And Jesus says to them, because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing. I need nothing. You do not realize that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. I reprove and discipline those whom I love. Be earnest, therefore, and repent. Listen, I'm standing at the door knocking. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come into you and eat with you and you with me. Jesus calls for repentance and offers intimacy that can only be known by those who trust in God. Now, I, I work with students, so I know you're saying, you're, you're talking about us accumulating wealth, you've got to be kidding. But again, it's not, it's not about accumulating wealth as much as it's about where's our focus. Are we, are, we, are we thinking that if we only had financial security that then we could, everything would be okay? And what God's word tells us is that our security is in Christ, Amen. not in finances. Right. And if, if, just look at our world today. People who put their security in finances are in a bad way right now. But like this young man that Dennis Kinlaw talked about, we have to make sure that we are trusting God so that when God calls us to do something that is financially irresponsible from the world's perspective, that we are still willing to do what God calls us to do. Because God is the one who's going to take care of us. Now, I'm not saying be an idiot. I mean, you know, we need things like car insurance and health insurance and, you know, those kinds of things. But there's, there are times when God calls us to do things that are just 
they just don't make sense from the world's perspective. And we have to say, I am not here to protect myself or to, to build up my own security, but I'm trusting in God. As a song of response, we're going to sing, When I Survey the Wondrous Cross. The season of Lent is a good time to ask, are we depending on our acts of piety to give us the sense that we are holy? Self-justification. The song says, forbid it, Lord, that I should boast, save in the death of Christ my God. Do we trust in what we can provide for ourselves? Self-protection? The song says, All the vain things that charm me most, I sacrifice them to his blood. My richest gain I count but loss, and pour contempt on all my pride. Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. Father, it is only the sacrifice of your son Jesus that allows us to come before you. And we thank you for your love for us, that you would send him to become a servant, to become like one of us, so that we might know you. And Father, it is the desire of our hearts to be holy people, and it is the desire of our hearts to lead others into that relationship. And Lord, I pray that you would protect us from our own tendency to want to justify ourselves. That you would give us ears to hear. That we would be sensitive to your Holy Spirit when those checks come that let us know that we've crossed the line. May we be quick to turn back to you and repent. And Lord, you know, in places like Nazarene Bible College, we know the things to say and the things to do to make ourselves look good. Would you, Father, keep us from going that route? May our love for you uh, be deep, and may our lives reflect that love. And Lord, we live in a culture that puts a lot of stock in what we can do for ourselves with money and finances. And we are, everywhere we look all day long, we are told that if we have enough money, we can make it happen. And I pray, Lord, that you would help us to live counterculturally in regard to this idea of taking care of ourselves. Pray that you would help us to lean hard on you and to know that you are the only one that we can trust in and that you have promised to take care of us. And Lord, there may be some here right now that are living in this very place where they don't know where the next 
uh, tuition money's coming from or the next rent or whatever. And Lord, I just pray that right now you would just come up next to them, remind them of your love for them and for your provision. And I pray, Lord, that we might never refuse your will because we can't see a way to make it happen ourselves, but that we would, would uh, trust you enough that if we take that step, you are alongside and providing the way. I thank you for this place, this place where these kinds of things are said over and over and over again. And I pray, Lord, that we will hear and that those things will be integrated into our very thinking so that it becomes second nature to us this holy living. In Jesus' name, amen.